Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. This is probably one of the most disjointed, difficult, messed up, broken times our nation has ever seen, which is so good. It's got so much potential. It's finally a moment in time where something can happen because we're actually coming to our knees. We're actually pursuing God. And so we're going to speak into that a little bit today. My message title is Shut Up Shame. So I know we're not supposed to say shut up, but the kids are out of the room, so we tell them not to say it. But sometimes when it comes to things like that, we have to be aggressive. And so this is speaking to the spirit of shame, shut up shame. It also has a double meaning because some of us, many of us, most of us are carrying shut up shame on the inside, blocked up shame. We filter through the lens of shame. And so we're going to deal with that today. I believe the heart of the father is to see freedom happen. And so in increasing measures, freedom upon freedom upon freedom. And I believe today, some of us, if not most of us are going to walk out of here different than we walked in. There's going to be a level of freedom that you sense on the inside, a level of identity that you're going to experience that is the thing you've been craving. God wants to release that to you today. And so, Lord, we just pray over your word today. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful, that you are constant, that you are true. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who does not change. You are the God who is the God of incredible love, incredible mercy, incredible grace. God, we thank you today that you are the one who wants to set us free. You've paid for our freedom. You've made way for our freedom. And God, today, I just thank you for a spirit of freedom in the house. Lord, that your perfect love would wash over each one. And Lord, I thank you for next level release today, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. And we just want to welcome those who are watching online again as well. Um, we're just, we're so excited that we can have actually be able to do both things right now. That you can be here in person if you're watching online. We actually have a full house. It's awesome this morning. Um, and we're so grateful, but we also do have the Facebook and YouTube links ongoing and uh, the radio as well. We're, uh, I think, a week behind on the radio show Sunday evenings. And so it's really cool to be able to just share the word. And I, I honestly, um, I am one of those people that I'm, I'm grateful for the wisdom of God and the perspective of heaven, which is so different than the perspective of the earth. Because if I was looking at our current events, I, I think I've mentioned this to you before, I let myself once or twice a week watch the national news. And then I need a sedative or something afterwards because it's so, it's so just jacked up on all fronts. And right now, it's like more broken than I've ever seen it on every front. There's not an area of society that isn't super messed up at the moment except that God is moving and the church is beginning to be less messed up than she's been for quite some time. The church is actually starting to look like the church. And by the church, I mean, if you're new here, maybe you're new to the things of God, I mean the people. I don't mean the building. I don't mean the structure. I don't mean religion. I mean the people of God, like Pastor Brad just said, you know, realizing that it's time to step out realizing that it's time to make that phone call, realizing that it's time to look up and connect with people. We all have hurts. We all have brokenness. We all have places that need to be ministered to. And those of us who know God, we actually carry the answer. So it's our opportunity in this hour. However, there's this thing that happens and it's built into our society. And we're gonna cover this today. It's, it's actually a bit of a revelation for me personally about the concept of shame wrapped into and around our identity. And most of us don't realize that we're carrying it, except that we make excuses and, and put blockages up on all sorts of things. Most of us are way more comfortable hiding than we are out there. I literally, I just, I mean, not to revisit the stuff, but honestly, I, I hated masks. Like, I hated wearing them until I realized that I could go to, like, public places and people didn't recognize me. So I didn't need to do my hair and makeup, and I could just slip in, slip out, it was easy. And I realized how easy it was to decide to hide. 
how easy it was for my own reasons to decide to just, I could, I could just blend in, I could just be one of the crowd. How many times, how many places do we do that in? How many times do we hide ourselves from who God's really made us to be, who he says we are? How many times do we live in the safety of our comfort zone instead of the fullness of the life that he's got for us? So we want to just look at this. I believe, you know, it's so interesting because often in the summer, you know, God will just give us these kind of um, refreshing words that are life-giving and whatever. So when I say we're going to talk about shame, that's like, you know, it's not the tulip of messages. It's not the daisy of messages. It's, you know, it's a little intense. It's like the flower on the top of the cactus, you know, that kind of, it, it's, it's, necessary, but it doesn't necessarily feel refreshing until you bite into what God is saying. And so we want to lean into that. And I believe that this summer, God is giving us the opportunity to drop some stuff that needs to be dropped, be cleaned out in some areas that need to be cleaned out, to be healed up in some areas that need to be healed up because like we just saw on that video, it is time. We actually don't have decades to get our junk together. That's just a heads up. We, we kind of don't. It is time for us to move forward. And the things of God, one of the things that I love about the Chosen series is that when you meet Jesus and Jesus is meeting people, you just experience the love of Christ. You just experience this love of God that finds people where they are and just ministers to them. You never see Jesus run people through the list of their garbage. You never see him go back and say, okay, please follow me in five years, when you get it sorted out. Never says that. He just invites people to come to him in whatever broken place they're at, whatever they've been through, whatever they've done or has been done to them. He calls them towards himself. And in watching it on the screen, it's like, yeah, see, that's the Jesus I know. That's the Jesus I believe. And right now we're in this moment where, you know, across the board, we're seeing, of course, a backlash from all the stuff that's been um, released and, and talked about with about the residential schools, which is just the beginning of what's probably yet to come. And in response to that, suddenly we're seeing the burning of churches and the blaspheming of God and this, this complete disregard and hatred and shame attached to the church. But here's the thing. I keep saying, that's not God. That's not God. And how do I know that? Because it doesn't match his character. None of it matches his character. None of it matches his heart. None of it matches his way of operating. We know who God is and we know that people have sometimes screwed it up. And everything about this current situation is leading us into this place of shame and embarrassment and humiliation. And it's revealing other places of shame and, and humiliation and embarrassment. And it's, it's got this like whole thing that the enemy, honestly, when you see the brokenness around us, do you not think that the enemy is just reveling in this? He's loving it. But God is turning the tide. Something is shifting in this season. And as the church begins to take personal responsibility for what it is God's calling us to do, as we begin to say yes, as we begin to walk away from one way of being and into the way he's called us to, we will actually see the fruit of love in action. We will actually see, see, I completely believe that it's possible for this nation to be healed. I really do. I completely believe it is possible for this nation to see a move of God like it has never seen. One that's the kind of thing that people will be Googling from around the earth so they can find out what's going on here. It, I believe that there is a move of God that is here. And it's just beginning to be birthed. That is the reason why our airport had to expand the runway so that larger planes could land here. I believe we're in that moment right now. God has called us, but we have to step into it with him. It's optional. So what God presents to us, we have to choose to embrace. And so we're going to walk this through today. And I want to just, I want to encourage each one of us to make sure that we're doing that heart check, that we're allowing the Lord to search us, that we are not walking around in shut up shame, where there's, there's places of shame that are filtering our responses and our actions and reactions. Today, we want to understand how John 10 10 it says the thief comes Jesus's word to steal kill and destroy 
What we are seeing right now, we don't blame people. We got to put it where it goes. The thief comes. The enemy of our souls, the, the, the father of lies, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We look around us, we watch the news, we hear the reports, we talk to people, and, and this is what we hear. Stealing, killing, and destroying. It's everywhere. But, but, I have come that you would have life and life abundantly. I have come. So what do we do when we see fear, destruction, brokenness, death all around us? We have no other choice but to lean into Jesus who says, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. In other words, we actually have an answer. We can sit and we can look at the brokenness or we can do something about it. I think it's time for us to do something about it. Two weeks ago, we talked about the uh, spirit of adoption, which is pretty much a game changer for all of us. When you lean into that, the understanding of the orphan spirit, the fact that we're born into, because we're born into sin, we're born into an orphan spirit. We're born into a world that doesn't know that it's loved and accepted and wanted. And when we are, are um, brought into the spirit of adoption, we experience God in a brand new way. Romans 8, 15 to 16 said, but you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This, this key, and if you didn't get to watch that message, it's two weeks ago, please, please watch it. Please watch it. Please take it and do something with it. There are books that you can read about the spirit of adoption. There's, there's all kinds of videos, but we need to understand that we are chosen and accepted and loved by God. And from that place, we can choose to love and accept. We can choose to celebrate one another. We can choose to walk in the light. We can choose to walk in the fullness. But as, as we're in this current situation in our nation, and it's, it's political, it's governmental, it's religious, it's financial, it's social, it's in every part of society. This utter brokenness, right? This utter brokenness. And the more that now people are beginning to talk, what we're starting to hear is these layers and layers and layers of shame and the misrepre misrepresentation of God. And I felt all week this week, I just felt like God, the Father, just kept saying, Tell them who I really am. Tell them who I really am. And I'm telling you, if you have been hurt by religion, it's not God. If you have been hurt by the structures of religion, the structures of the church, it's not God. The Father does not hurt he, he, he is life, he is love, he is radical mercy, radical grace. However, flawed people sometimes misrepresent him. As do flawed people misrepresent all sorts of things. It's, our, it's about our own brokenness, it's about how we filter him. And sometimes when you hear something about God 19th hand down, it is completely polluted. You remember that gossip game that you played as kids where you pass it on and whisper it and that was the fun thing was how distorted it could be by the time you got to the end of the line? And yet we don't realize that actually happens in adult life too. That by the time we pass it on, pass it on, pass it on, pass it on, what God really has said and who God really is doesn't often represent what it is that's come out the other side. If it is stealing, killing, and destroying, it's not God. So we have to lean into this and we have to choose that we, we are now as, as people who are chosen by God. And maybe today you haven't had that relationship with God yet today. I hope we can rectify that. But when you are chosen by God, when you say yes to him and you choose him back, when you come into that relationship with him, you become a son or daughter of God and you begin to carry the things that are of his nature. So you are no longer carrying the DNA that chooses to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, some of us walk around like that. We're still killing, stealing, and destroying 
in the world around us. It's because we haven't had a renewed mind yet. And we haven't stepped into the fullness that now because Jesus lives on the inside of us, my goal is to help those around me have life and life abundantly. I'm meant to walk in it. I'm meant to model it. I'm meant to serve it. I'm meant to give it. I'm meant to lead people into it. That's my reality. So as a daughter of God, that's my privilege is when I see brokenness, I can administer wholeness. When I see darkness, I can bring the light. When I see pain and suffering, I can bring mercy and grace. I am carrying the Spirit of God. And God will use me just as a vessel to minister who he really is. But one of the reasons that we don't always step into that, we talked a couple weeks about the orphan spirit, which is contrary to the spirit of adoption. One of the things that partners with that orphan spirit is the spirit of shame. So if I'm under a spirit of shame, a cloak of shame, I'm not saying it's a demon, I'm saying it's a, like an attitude of shame, an atmosphere of shame. If I'm walking under that, I will lean closer to the spirit of an orphan. I will lean away from the sense of belonging and knowing that I am loved by God. And I will lean into the place where my life actually begins to steal, kill, and destroy the world around me. It's weird, but have you ever, I mean, I'm not saying we're all just jerks, but honestly, have you ever had a moment with yourself where you're like, I can't believe I said that, did that, reacted like that, I know I hurt them and that wasn't my intention, right? We do that, why? Because we're, we're, we don't know who we really are. We aren't fully appropriating who we really are. So when shame um, you know, penetrates our lives, we begin as God's kids to stop asking for what we should ask for, putting a draw on what we should put a draw for, believing for what we should believe for. We settle for just enough. I don't need a seat at the table, I'm happy just to be in the room. No, you need the seat that he assigned you. You need to be exactly where he put you. You need to be living the life that he gave to you, whether you think you've earned it or not. And so this concept of shame and, and rooting it out, let me just say, I, I think that this is um, a bigger deal than we think it is. I think it's so integrated into our culture that we can hardly recognize it. We just think it's being humble. Humble means I believe I'm submitted to God. He's higher than I am. Humble does not mean I'm a doormat. I'm dirt. I'm not worthy. That's not humility. That's shame. And so it's blended into our society. So let's look at the, for the starter, uh, shame in our nation. Shame in our nation. And it's one of those things that right now is just palpable everywhere. Shame is being spread. Shame is being thrown. Shame is being uh, cast out. One of the things that I was shocked at over this whole like um, COVID season where we had a lot of our public officials being online doing live streams and whatever and people could actually comment was how many times people said you should be ashamed of yourself. Why would we say that? Why, why is that the phrase that comes out? You should be ashamed of yourself, one way or the other, and casting shame on one another. And now this, this you know, stuff that has begun to come out about the residential schools, and I know our First Nations people, this is not a surprise for them. It's a horrifying revelation for a lot of the rest of us. But, but what has been deposited on them is shame. And what's being reflected now onto the general population is shame. We are so ashamed. We, we feel so much shame. We feel so much shame. And what I see is that the enemy is looking for this loophole and he's looking to capitalize on it. And we need to shut it down. We have to put an end to it. We have to step into the fullness of what God's got for us. One of the things that we are known for worldwide as Canadians is that we are quick to what? Wow, it's so common. I'm sorry that you jumped right on that. Here's a reality from Crosswalk Ministries. Studies of spiritual roots show that people enslaved to shame are constantly apologizing to others for who they are. How dare I accidentally get in front of you when you were, uh, no, wait, I was in line first, but no, um, no, my bad. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Somebody hits you with their cart. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have been standing where your cart was going. Who knew that? You know, 
I mean, somebody spills something on you, you're like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have been there. I mean, I should have, I should have anticipated that you were going to trip and spill. I should have known that. I'm so sorry. It, we're so good at this. But it's interesting when you look at if it's a spiritual root that shame automatically apologizes. And our culture is known for it. Isn't it possible that there's a stronghold of shame wrapped into this nation? Isn't it possible? It's so interesting to me. The uh, residential school situation, one of the things, and there's been, bless you for commenting, those who are commenting on some of our posts from last week, um, who are saying, you know, they've had family members in, in the schools, um, parents, grandparents, you know, whatever, some, of, some people who have been in it. But what everybody says, everybody who has talked to me about this says, nobody, nobody will talk about it. Nobody, they won't tell us what happened to them there. They don't want to talk about it. We just know that they were there, but they don't want to talk about it. Why? Shame. Shame for what was done to them. Shame for what they experienced. Uh, I was reading a book, um, I think it's called uh, Ghost River or something. It's an autobiography from a man who's now a, a chief in Northern Ontario who was in the residential school system. And he talks about his experience at length. They had to actually check some of the records to corroborate his stories because there's blank spots in his mind where it was just so traumatic. He's blanked it right out. It's just gone. The memory's gone. And so as he's beginning to talk about this, he talks about some of the things that were said to him and some of the ways he was demeaned, some of the ways he was put down, some of the ways he was shamed. So a whole people group within our society was shamed and it was built into our society. And I can't help but think what would make people do that to children? Demonized people who had already experienced shame themselves, right? Because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So if that's what's happening, if that's what's coming out, it is being motivated by the thief, which means there was an encounter somewhere along the way. So, uh, you know, as we look to even the founding of this nation and we, we look at, um, you know, the, the coming together as a dominion of Canada, we know that obviously people lived here for a long time before everybody else, but a lot of the people that came here were coming for a fresh start. Why? Shame. They had lost things. They were running away from something. They needed a new beginning because whatever was behind them was not very good. And so they needed something. I mean, it's built into our society. However, God has spoken over this land a destiny and a purpose that is anything but shameful. It's full of him. It's saturated in him. And so it's possible that our nation just feels bad for being. We're like the USA's little awkward northern cousin that i mean most americans do not know any of the provinces when you say you know even even you're traveling and oh where are you from i'm from grand prairie alberta northern northern canada oh, i've got friends in ontario you might know them <laughs> well it's possible i guess but <laughs> You know, and so uh, we, we, we just, we're used to being that awkward spot in society, and yet God's calling us to more. Interestingly, shame is actually a deviant branch off of pride. So the odd thing is, is that even though we feel shame, and shame doesn't feel prideful, shame is prideful in the sense that it is all about self. It's saying it's me, I will protect me. It's the same thing as insecurity is really rooted in pride. And so pride is this initial thing that happened right in the garden. And we have to look at the fact that the enemy has, see, God has spoken the destiny of this people. He has spoken the destiny of this nation. He's spoken the future of, of, of the earth in different places, in different parts. And, and the enemy knows it. So he plays the long game. And he plants seeds that bear fruit and multiply generation after generation after generation. So interestingly, the definition of shame is a feeling of responsibility for wrongdoing. It's guilt, remorse, regret, and self-reproach. In and of itself, shame, the, the initial sensation of shame is like 
conviction. It's like, oh, I did something wrong. I feel badly that I did that. However, shame wants to shift into becoming your identity. I did it, therefore I am that. I failed here, therefore I am that. And if everybody knew what I did and who I really am, they wouldn't like me at all. The interesting thing about the father, when he wants us to know who he really is, he knows it all. Anyone who has experienced abuses of any kind, one of the things that gets said on repeat is, don't tell anybody. Don't you tell anybody. Why? Because shame hides in that place as though you did something wrong. And now it becomes your identity. And so shame is this feeling that wants to become an identity. The words that are related to shame are blame, fault, liability, responsibility, excuses, and embarrassment. Aren't those words and phrases that you're hearing a lot right now? Who's to blame? Who's at fault? Who needs to take responsibility? What an embarrassment. What a shame on this nation. What a shame on our people. I'm ashamed to be a whatever. Wow. Interestingly, though, the antonyms or the opposite words are to esteem, to honor, to respect, and to admire. See, those are godly things. What has happened in the past does need to be addressed, but it needs to be addressed from here and moving forward. There's this thing that has to happen. We need to understand that it's built into our society. Who's to blame? If I've done wrong, then I am wrong. Whose fault is it? It sounds reasonable until you line it up with the word of God. Blame, fault, Excuses are the anthem of our age. But here's the revelation. Shame locks us in our past and love leads us into our future. Shame locks us in our past and love leads us into our future. If we don't recognize where shame is hiding, if we don't recognize the spots where it's tucked into our way of thinking and doing and being and speaking, then we will stay stuck in the past and we will not experience the fullness of what God's got for us. I'm telling you right now, as broken as it is, as messed up as it is, as, as, as horrifying as things are, it is exposed for the sake of healing so that love can lead us into our future. This is a gift from God that we are in this moment of time. And so shame over, over, you know, encompassing the nation. And frankly, the fact that it's rooted in pride is so interesting because again, as a province, Alberta is known for Alberta pride. I would say then that would indicate that there's a high level of shame tucked into it. We are trying to prove our way. We are trying to be valid. We are trying to be a worthy part of the nation. And we just really need to lean into love and step beyond it. So past shame as a nation is shame in a society or specific people groups. Shame is our way of causing us to defend our right to exist. We try and defend our right to exist. So this is shame in a society. It's the thing that builds into us where we say, oh, I'm, I'm nobody until I make myself somebody because I've done what is necessary for you to know that I'm worthy of your attention. And our current culture has bought right into that. Things like our, our social media stuff, our, our online filters, our, you know, nobody posts real life. I, I really respect some of the people that just do, where they, they post the messes, they post the ugly, they post the unfiltered. And you're like, hey, friend, <laughs> we're so alike, you know. But everybody else, it feels like they've got, they've got all this going for them. Everybody's got the perfect marriage, the perfect children, the perfect house, the perfect holiday the perfect job, the perfect clothing, the perfect everything. And, and, and when I have that, I'll be worthy to exist. Now, we might not say that we think that, but this is how our society is operating. It's built on, do I have what it takes for you to see me? Do, what, do I have what it takes? And God wants to take that a little bit further. We know that Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalts a nation 
but sin is a reproach to any people. And so where sin is present in our current culture, and it has been in our past, this embarrassment is there on, on the peoples of the land, and therefore we have a choice to either deal with the sin or live in the shame. If we deal with the sin, we move forward. If we sit in the shame, we're on pause. As a nation, nothing will happen. Personally, it'll apply to me. Sam Storm says, the only lasting and meaningful cure for shame comes from embracing in your heart the simple truth that your value and identity are not determined by what others have said you are. What they've said about you or perpetrated against you your value and your identity are determined by who you are as an image bearer and what Christ has done on your behalf. So when I say that I, I believe that the answer to the nation is in God, I know some people hear that and I mean, maybe not in this particular room, but some people are like, seriously, what does God have to do with how messed up our politics are? Well, righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach. Our identity as a nation, our identity as families, our identity as individuals, it comes from what he says about us. It comes from us being carriers of the presence of God. I'm telling you, if even 20% of this nation were on fire, passionate, Jesus-loving people who lived in the light and walked in the light and carried the love of God, this nation would be transformed. It would be enough of a critical mass. It wouldn't take much. Maybe 15 to 20% literally would turn the tide in this nation. It could start here. You know, our city's 70,000. It means we only would, you know, we don't need that many to see an actual change of the atmosphere in this community of the love of God, the identity of God, who he says we are. I think it's a little bit sad when you drive into cities and you see, I mean, of course it's honoring, but like home of whatever sports hero from 27 years ago. <laughs> and a couple million other people that are living productive lives, I'm sure. You know, but we're so focused. Here's somebody who made, they've made their stake on life. They have, they have done what it takes to be valuable. And therefore, because they come from here, we are valuable. No, we're valuable because God says we're valuable. We're loved because he says we're loved. And so we have to recognize that our identity has to be found in him. There is no way to fix what is going on around us without an infusion of the love of Christ. There's no way. There's no way to change it if we just keep trying... Burning churches is not an answer. Pulling down statues is not an answer. Going down and changing names of things is not an answer. All it does is hide our past, but it buries us in our shame. It's not an answer. The answer is to recognize, yes, this person whose statue is right there was flawed. This person did these things right. They did these things wrong. We're grateful that God has brought us through this. And from this point forward, let us, let this serve us notice that just because you have a title doesn't mean you have an anchor and a handle on the things of God. The wisdom of God is beyond. It just serves as a reminder that people are people and God is God alone. We have to, we have to understand that in order to move forward, we acknowledge, we acknowledge we heal in the moment. We repent. We turn from our wicked ways and we allow God to heal our land. We have to move forward. But here's one of the major problems. Number three, shame in the church. Go ahead and get uncomfortable. <laughs> shame in the church is way more common than we want to think it is. Way more common. Why? Because there is this weird bubble-wrapped idea that if you are a Christian, if you attend church, you are sanctified, sanitized, perfectized. You are the walking embodiment of Christ upon the earth. No, we're not. And so because of that, because of that picture, because of the idea, people will say, and we've all heard it, we've maybe said it ourselves, maybe we are it. People that go to church are just hypocrites. Well, are, are they? Maybe they are, maybe they're not. A hypocrite means you say one thing and you do something else. I'd rather just let you guys know, feel free to wait till the service is over before leaving, but I sin. 
I do. Not purposefully, not willfully, but every once in a while. Like daily, probably. I don't know. <laughs> I sin. The pastors in this church sin. The leaders, in the, we are flawed people that are growing in the grace of God and we are changing from glory to glory to glory. So what might have been an hourly thing in the past becomes a weekly thing, becomes a monthly thing, becomes never anymore. And, and, and God leads us as we are willing to open up before him, as we're willing to be real. I mean, how overwhelming. I don't know if anybody's here for the first time today. If you think that everybody else in this room is perfect, breathe deeply <sighs> I can guarantee you there's not one who's perfect in this room but Christ one alone God alone and so we lean into him so this shame in the church what we're seeing right now in in our current stats is this brokenness you know one of the things that I think was um extraordinarily eye-opening and we've talked about this uh uh, publicly, and I think maybe in our leadership meetings, but the, when, when all the churches across North America went online and people suddenly had the opportunity to just watch at home and not be part of the body, how many never bothered to come back when the doors opened back up again? Why? Because the drift, the pull is so strong when you think that in here you have to be perfect. I, I mean, I can feel pretty good about myself. I can beat my own self up on my own couch and, you know, get through the service and I'll pray in quiet. And maybe by the time I get back to church, people won't know what I've done wrong in these months that I've been missing. Just hogwash. We all make mistakes. We all struggle. We all, we are all baited. We're all tempted. Jesus was tempted in every way as we are. He was the only one who didn't sin. The rest of us did. One of the things that's so horrifying is the high percentage of, of, of um, addictions to pornography, to hidden substance abuse that's happening in the church. The, 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 uh, you know, the abortions that are actually happening in the church, the, the, the need for, uh, pleasing ourselves by the flesh that's happening in the church, but we have this temptation to come in and go, I'm fine. How are you? Great. Here's my Instagram post from this week. Doesn't it look happy? It was so awesome. You don't post the fact that you were in the fetal position in your, in your kitchen, you know, for three days in a row trying to figure out how you were going to get through this week because you were so overwhelmed, but you don't post that. You post the happy picture just after you entered into the carb coma, right? <laughs> We have to be real. I'm not saying just spew on everybody, but I'm saying it is good for us to know we are all saved by grace, not by works that anyone should boast. I can't even tell you how many people I have asked to volunteer in certain areas, in certain places to serve in the church. And it's like, oh, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I, I mean, no, I've got stuff. I've got, I've got things. Yeah, we all do, and we got stuff that needs to get done around here, so <laughs> pony up, you know, come on. We're all parts of the body. Everybody's got a part, and if we're, if we're missing major parts of the body due to this cloak of shame, we can't function like we're supposed to function. It's awesome. I, I'm, I'm loving how, you know, we are so connected online right now. And so things like Jody, I'll just put you on the spot, but Jody's healing from a major surgery, so there's not a lot she can do. Guess what I figured out she can do? Discipleship. She's doing one-on-one -on -one discipleship counseling while she's on her healing up from her surgery. She can't sit at the desk, but she's doing that. That's awesome. What can you do? We got people that are, you know, so good at cooking and, and, and just they love doing that sort of stuff. And we've got people that are so deeply in working multiple jobs to get through this season. They could be so blessed by a few pre-cooked meals right? Massive thing. The kids that need just extra love, the families that need some child care, the seniors that would just love to serve or be served. We are the body. But if we sit there and we're buried under this cloak of shame that I've got nothing to offer, we don't function well. So shame builds in and, and it's part of how we function in our society. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5.17, therefore, Let's get this one up on the screen. <laughs> I want you to see this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. 
old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm telling you, I know, I know that there are pain stories in this house. I've heard a lot of them. I know that there's people that have been abused. I know that there's people that have been the abusers. I know that there's people who have been shamed, and I know that there's people that have shamed others. I know that we all have this history of stuff we would rather not have people know, but God already knows it. And he said, when you came to him, if you are in him, if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But I still remember it. Yeah, but he chose not to. But the people around me, they're, they're holding me to that. They expect me. They, yeah, because we're in a society of shame, in a nation of shame, we do automatically project shame onto one another. That doesn't mean we have to accept it. Just because the people around you might feel like they need you to pay, you don't have to accept it. And, and I'm telling you, I, I love, again, the chosen, um, the story of Matthew, who is just like the tax collector, he's awesome. But, you know, he collected taxes from everybody else, and then he gets called by Jesus to be one of the 12. And the other 11 had paid taxes to Matthew. How much do you think they wanted him to drown in that river? Like, you know, have a little extra baptism, Matthew, come on. I mean, come on. With the, they're all human. But Jesus comes and he calls us out and he says, no, you're new. What you were then, what you are in grace, what you are about to become, they're different. Yeah. And we have to be okay with the different. I'm telling you, it matters that we don't have decades to get this sorted out. If Jesus loves you and you love him, you're new. Move on. Just move on. Right? So here's the thing that happens with shame. And I just want to look at this in the church. Shame says erase it. Love says confess it. It's interesting because it's literally, I'm not talking about, I, I could go on for days with scriptures that talk about this. Shame says erase it, hide it, put it away if anybody knew. Love says confess it, that you can be healed. It says in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is the Apostle Paul. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. <laughs> this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Paul's giving you permission to use this. <laughs> He's saying, feel free to copy my copyrighted material. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. Man, I am a sinner. But my title changes when I come to God. And I become one who doesn't be identified by sin. I become one who is washed by the blood of Christ. I'm a free person. I'm loved in Christ. I'm known by him. I'm accepted in the beloved. I am now a saint who sins sometimes. It changes things. And this is what Paul's saying. Shame says it's unforgivable. But love says it's forgiven. It's forgiven. John, thir uh, John 3, 16 to 17, you know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He didn't, he knows the stuff, but his purpose isn't to condemn us. His purpose isn't to point the finger. When Jesus came to the earth, he knew he was fully God, fully man. He was dealing with broken people. He was aware that those who he called to be his closest, that the disciples themselves, he knew that they were sinners. And he loved them and he chose them and he led them and he walked with them. Some of us, I know this maybe sounds a little bit harpy, but some of us just need to get over it. Like, what's the statutation of, or what do you call it, statute of limitations on sin? At what point do we get to stop identifying with it? Like, five years? Three years? Ten years? Like, honestly, anybody know a scripture for when you hit this mark, 
sin-free, you can no longer be identified by that. Anybody? Because here's what I know. We're buried in baptism and we're raised to new life in Christ. As long as that takes is as long as it takes to be set free and move on. That's it. Let yourself off the hook. It's time. We need everybody. The, the, the nation is split open and begging for an answer and the people of God carry it. And if we excuse ourselves based on our past mistakes from being part of the frontline service, this is why Jesus said, pray that there would be laborers sent into the harvest field because the harvest field is ripe. I am praying right now for these laborers to be sent out one by one, two by two, ten by ten. It is not about how many people come in this building it's about how many of us know we're free that changes the world so shame says erase it love says confess it shame says it's unforgivable but love says it's forgiven shame says i'll fix it love says it's done see we ought to recognize when we say i'll feel better to say i'm a child of god when i've got it put back together. That is an orphan spirit. It goes back to saying, I will do so that I have so that I can be. But an adopted spirit says, I am, so I have, so I do. So because Christ says he's fixed it, because he says it's done, we just, we just move forward. And man, is that awkward, right? We're so good at beating ourselves up. We're so good at like, man, if you knew what a scumbag I really am, you know? But honestly, the more we lean into grace, the more we lean into love, the more we lean into mercy, the less of a scumbag we become. We actually can finally move forward to be changed from glory to glory. As long as we stay in the shame, we're stuck in the past and nothing will change. Sheer willpower may help you live a certain way for a certain time until you have a breakdown of your emotions and you do the wrong thing and then you beat yourself up again. But if we just accept grace, we accept the gift that's been given to us because we can't earn it. It's simply received by faith. We receive the forgiveness because he offers it to us. Then we can move forward. This is the invitation that he calls us to. Shame says it's unforgivable. Love says it's forgiven. God came not to condemn but to save shame says i'll fix it love says it's done first john 1 9 if we confess our sins see some of us think this should say if we confess our sins in an appropriate manner after several days of fasting clothed in sackcloth and ashes crawling on our knees before god begging for him to somehow do something with our mess. He will take a vote amongst the Godhead and they will consider how long we must pay penance before we can possibly move forward and he will forgive our sins. It literally just says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As bizarre as that sounds, that's how it works. We should be really excited about that. We should be like, yay! I, I honestly, I know it's just a matter of time before I mess up again. I mean, the Apostle Paul who had every safeguard in place that the things I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do those things sometimes. I, it happens. I'm not, I'm not condoning just free for all of sin. I'm just saying our temptation is to hide it's built right into the fabric of our society. It's built into our natures. But the invitation of God is confession for forgiveness. It's so simple. In fact, I want to read a little bit further. 1 John 1, starting at 5. It says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. <laughs> and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's this invitation into freedom that doesn't make sense. It's received by grace. But we have to understand that right in the very beginning of the book, in the very first sin, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve ate the fruit. Suddenly their eyes were opened. They realized they're naked. They realized that they had nothing to stand before God. And God comes, and you remember the story. God came, and he says to Adam, where are you? He knows where he is. He's asking him. And Adam says, I, I, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid from you. It tells us from the very beginning that our instinct, our human instinct, our fleshy instinct is when we do something wrong, we hide. But God pulled him out. God clothed him. God made a way. God instituted the act that was going to happen years down the road when Jesus came to the earth. He died on the cross for sins he didn't commit. He paid the price, the penalty for sin. He rose again. He conquered sin and death, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, making provision so we never have to hide again. So we never have to hide again. Again, Sam Storm says, shame leads to feelings of being not just unqualified, but disqualified from anything meaningful or having a significant role in the body of Christ. If this is you on any level, you feel unqualified or disqualified from something, it's just time to bring it to Jesus and be done with it. Just be done with it. Jack Hiles says, failing is not a disgrace unless you make it the last chapter of your book. What book are we talking about? The book of life that God wrote for you. Shame is not a disgrace unless you make it the last chapter of your book, unless your life stops, because that's what shame does. Shame wants to anchor you to the past, but love will draw you forward into the future. I want to finish today. I'm going to have the worship team come with Psalm 139, starting at verse 13, and you know this one, but I want you to hear it through this lens. See, King David, if you've read the story of King David, some I know some are brand new to reading the Bible, uh, you know, when you read the Old Testament, they're real-life stories about real-life people. King David was flawed. He made mistakes. He had an affair and killed the, killed the woman's husband so that it wouldn't fall back on him. Like, he, he made some mistakes. And yet God forgave him, and he had this relationship with God that was vulnerable, and it was open, and it was tender. And it led him into the fullness of the plan that God had for him. But he wrote this, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Isn't that just an astonishing statement? It literally means King David saying, I, you know, so the Psalm 139 verse 14, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. He's talking about himself. I thank you, God, because I am awesome. I praise you, God, because you did such a good job on me. I praise you, God, for how you put me together. I praise you, God, for every organ. I praise you, God, for every tendon, every muscle, every bone. I thank you, God, for every system. I thank you for how my brain works. I thank you for the creativity. I thank you, God, that you give me dreams and opportunities. I thank you, God, for this life that you let me live. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. See, that previous quote said, shame leads to feelings, or sorry, failing is not a disgrace unless you make it the last chapter of your book. In your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Do you know God knew you were going to mess up? He knew I was going to mess up, and he wrote the book accordingly. I got a lot of chapters left. How about you? 
lot of chapters left, a lot of things to live, a lot of things to experience, but I can't stay on this part. I can't stay on the shame side of things. He says in verse 17, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more than the number, more in number than the sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty man, for they speak evil against you. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? He's like got this righteous thing going on. He's like, man, there's people all around me that don't know God. They don't love God. They're, they're blasphemous. I'm really struggling with them. And I, I, I loathe those who rise up against you. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count my enemies. He's having this moment. And then he goes, but search me, O God, <laughs> and know my heart. <laughs> Try me and know my anxieties. In other words, I'm worked up about all this stuff around me. I would love to see some stuff happen to those that are breaking and hurting other people. I would love to, those that are blaspheming your name, I would love to see something happen. But what can I do about it? Search me, oh God. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting forward moving life ahead love ahead forgiveness ahead grace ahead this is what he's got for us I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes for a moment I believe there's some today that maybe just need to make a commitment to Christ in the first place and maybe it's a recommitment maybe you're coming back to God but this is the moment where Man, you know, I, I don't feel worthy, but I'm going to believe by faith that he's calling me and that he's choosing me and that he loves me. I'm going to choose to say yes to him. And I'm going to choose to believe that he can forgive me and that I don't have to live in my past, but I can have a new start. And if that is you today, would you just put up your hand? Just in answer to the Lord, just put up your hand. Hold it up until I can see it. Anybody online, you can just type in, yes, me. Anybody in this room, you need to, yeah, I see that hand in the back. Up, up in the balcony, I see those hands. Yeah. Anybody else this morning? You need to make that commitment or that recommitment. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, I see one online there. Bless you. Anybody else in the room today or online? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay, so what we're gonna do, thank you. What we're gonna do is we're all gonna stand together and we're going to pray a prayer of commitment together today. And for those who are making this prayer, this is your day of decision. I would love it if you would um, just fill out a commitment card. And they are in the seat rows in front of you. For those that are on the main floor, they're at the end of the row if you're in the balcony. And just um, after this next song, we're going to open up the prayer altars for those that would like prayer this morning. And Pastor Brad and Pastor George will be over on this side. If you would bring forward your card. And the, the reason we're doing that is just because we want to make sure to get you on the right start. If you are online and you're making that commitment, um, just contact the church and we would be happy to hook you up with any resources you need. But we, it's very important that we walk these first steps together. And so this is why we all pray together. And for those you've already got a relationship with Jesus, this is such a good reminder of what it is that has happened and the cleansing that you have. And so just repeat after me this morning. Father God, I come before you today and I recognize that I'm a sinner. I fail you and I fail at life sometimes. But I believe by faith that you died for me, that the blood of Jesus pays for my sins. 
And even though I don't understand it, your, your word says, if I ask forgiveness, if I say yes to you, you will wash me clean and you'll make me new. And God, today, I come before you and I make that request. I ask you to forgive me from all my sin and I ask you to cleanse me and make me new. And by faith, I receive it today. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. I receive your love. And I choose to walk in it. I choose a new life. I choose a new beginning. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Now, yeah, let's just give let's just give a little bit of praise there. Thank you, God. Those who put up their hands today, this is the best decision you've ever made. I'm telling you what, it's the best decision you've ever made. And it doesn't mean you're committing to be perfect. It means you're committing to a new life. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.